The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So there's, um, there's an interesting phenomenon in fashion that I don't know if you've observed before, but it's something that's rather interesting and that I've caught on to, and, and it's this thing where trends that used to be cool end up coming back. They make a comeback. So watch. Here, here's one. So does anybody know who this is? He famously played in Miami Vice. Does anybody know the character? Lieutenant Castillo. There we go. All right. Lieutenant Castillo, Miami Vice. He's rocking the skinny tie like no other, okay? The skinny tie is something that uh, made a comeback. It was really cool in the 80s, uh, 90s, not so much. People wore those really fat ties, all right? That became cool. And so the, the skinny tie has made a comeback, and now people commonly wear skinny ties. Here's another example. The mom jeans, all right? Anybody here? Like every, woman, every mom here has owned a pair of mom jeans at some point, all right? The mom jeans. Now, here's what's crazy about the mom jeans. I never would have thought like five or six years ago that mom jeans would ever come back. Like I thought that those were done. Like there's just no way. Five or six years ago, I, I would have thought, man, mom jeans, really crazy? Here's what's crazy. They're back, right? Watch, watch this. Check this picture out. Those are mom jeans, all right? And this very fashion forward girl, you know, just wearing mom jeans, rocking them. They're very chic. Uh, and she's just, she's just rocking the mom jeans. And many Many of you guys, you don't even realize it. You have jeans like that. They're actually mom jeans, okay? All right, here's the next one. Um, this is uh, ugly Christmas sweaters. You may recognize the guy on the left. He's a nerd. Um, so anyways, uh, ugly Christmas sweaters. Uh, for you, if these are nice Christmas sweaters, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be mean, okay? But Christmas sweaters, these were once seriously worn by people, and now people have parties at Christmas time celebrating how tacky these are. And uh, so there you go, ugly Christmas sweaters. They came back into style, kind of, like we, we laugh at them. Um, so there's that. But then there's some things that used to be trendy that haven't quite yet made it back to being cool again. Uh, and maybe you, you know some of these things that were once trendy and aren't trendy now, but maybe, just maybe they will one day. So here, here's one that hasn't quite caught back on. Um, that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Okay. And there are so many things in this picture that we could just look at and appreciate. How about the turtleneck that's like all the way up to his chin, okay? That right there, uh, he's got the gold chain around his necklace. But here's the thing that I think your eyes, I mean, the fanny pack. Come on now. The fan, you remember the fanny pack? All right, you were not a cool dad at Disney World unless you were rocking a fanny pack, all right? I remember I loved the fanny pack so much. I asked for one for my birthday, I think, and I got a fanny pack. I, I wore it. It had like Mickey Mouse ears on it. You know why? Because pockets are too burdensome. So why not carry a pocket around your waist, right, right? It's brilliant. Fanny packs, man, haven't quite made it back yet. I'm holding out. Maybe one day the fanny pack will be a thing again. Here's the last one. Billy Ray Cyrus rocking the mullet, all right? The mullet. Oh, man, that was a thing. Can you believe it? Uh, the mullet, that was a trend. And, uh, you know, it's a miracle. Thank God it has not come back. And uh, I know many of you are probably hoping it doesn't come back. But if you're a mullet fan, we love you, okay? Uh, you wear your mullet, all right? You make it trendy again. 
Um, but all of these trends that come in and become popular, things that, you know, once used to be cool, a period goes by where they're like, you do not do those things, and then they come back again. Now, that principle that what used to be trendy ends up becoming a trend once again is something we see at work in, in other areas of our lives. Maybe you've seen this, where maybe something that your parents did ended up influencing the way you live. And you came to the place where you realize, oh my goodness, I sound just like my dad, or I sound just like my mother. And it's not one of those things that's genetic. It's just one of those trends that ends up popping back up across the generations, or take it personally. In our own lives, there are certain things, either from our childhood, uh, certain things from our teenage years, that end up popping up again later on in life. And As I was having conversations with students this week at camp, one of the common conversations I kept having, something that kept coming up, and and it was just conversation after conversation where students were sharing that this is where they were, is many of them found themselves in this place where they're in this cycle, where they did something that they, maybe they're struggling with. There's this area of their life, it's a, a sin or a struggle that they have in their life, and they, they end up falling to it. They give in to temptation. And then they feel guilty. They feel shame. Maybe even sadness for doing it. And so they then make the decision, okay, I'm never doing that again. And so they make these commitments to God and say, God, I'm never going back there. I'm never going to do that again. I promise this time. Really, I mean it. Only to find themselves back in the same spot. And like this cycle, and, and students aren't the only ones who know the cycle. Where there's this thing, whether it's something that's in the form of a computer screen or it's something in the form of a substance or something in the form of a pill or whatever it is, it's something that we say, that's it, I'm done, I'm not going back to that, I'm, I'm just finished with that. God, I promise, I'm never going back there only to find ourselves back where we started. And it's this endless cycle. And so this idea that what trended and what was common in our past, we just can't seem to shake. It keeps popping up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a group of Christians who are living in a culture and living in a city where sensuality and sex is elevated as almost the highest good. He's living in a culture where the Christian community is called to live very different from the rest of the world. And so many of these Christians, people who made the decision to follow Jesus in Corinth, came out of lifestyles where they were doing things that are very much different from the life that Christ was calling them to. And what ended up happening is many of them started to dabble back in old trends. They started doing the things that they started to get out of. The things that once defined them started to creep back into their lives. And so what Paul does in his correspondence with the Corinthians is he's telling them, he's reminding them, this is who you are. Don't you remember what Christ has done for you? And so here's what he's going to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's going to clarify, this is what it means to be a Christian. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, meaning you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you don't follow him with your life, um, you, you haven't made that commitment to him saying he's my Lord, he's my everything. If you haven't done that, this is an excellent passage to look at. Because it's going to lay out to you very clearly, make it very simple. This is what it means to be a Christian. And then if you are a Christian, this passage is critical. Because it's so fascinating how the Apostle Paul, he writes all these letters to these different churches. He writes letters to Christians. And many of those letters spend a lot of time describing, here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's how you become a Christian. 
And so think about it like this. It's like, you know, a, a law student who is studying for the bar exam, you know, they, they have read all sorts of boring books to try and get ready for this exam. They're, they're sharp people studying. Like we think of a law student, the last thing we think they need to know is to relearn how to read. Like they got that covered, they've moved on. And yet the Apostle Paul here is telling Christians, hey, here's how you become a Christian and here's what it means to be a Christian. Because what we find out is that in order to get out of that cycle, in order for what used to define us to be removed, sometimes what we need to be reminded of is exactly who we are. That there is something that transpired when a person put their faith in Jesus. Something happened. And he describes it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Look at what it says. We're going to read it together. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. We're going to go through this verse and just break it down phrase by phrase. I want you to check this out. Look what it says. It says, therefore, if anyone, if anyone. What this is essentially saying, he's starting off, this is what it means to be a Christian. If anyone, take all of the categories that we like to assign, all of the the neat little divisions we like to divide people into. And as he's describing, this is what it means to be a Christian. He says, take those categories and throw them away. That anyone can receive Jesus, that anyone can follow him. So whether you grew up in a Jewish home, a, an agnostic home, an atheist home, a Buddhist home, a Muslim home, a Christian home, whatever the case is, that Jesus is for you. Whether you were born somewhere very far from here or you were born here in the United States, Jesus is for anyone, if anyone. It doesn't say if religious people are in Christ. If this certain kind of status of person is if, if anyone. I remember uh, sitting at Chick-fil-A having a conversation with a student and talking to him. And he was sharing with me the thing that was keeping him from giving his life to Christ. The barrier that was kind of in front of him is he just felt like God could never forgive him. Like there was things in his past, there was junk that there's no way God could forgive him for. He'd just been too far. And this verse just said, if anyone, no matter how far, no matter what you've done, no matter how many people you've disappointed, no matter if your, your parents on earth treated you poor, no matter what your situation is, if anyone is in Christ, what Jesus offers is for everyone. So if anyone, and then look what it says next. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, that phrase in Christ is a phrase that pops up over and over and over again in the New Testament. You should read the Bible. It's pretty amazing. Um, uh, Shameless plug, okay? You should read it. But when you get to the New Testament, you will see this phrase pop up over and over and over and over again. In Christ, in Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? Christ. Think of it like this. So suppose that you wanted to go to the moon, and you wanted to go to the moon. I want to go too. Why not? Sounds fun. Uh, In fact, we actually have a staff member here at West Pines, Jennifer Batal, who her dad worked on some NASA project, and her name is somewhere on the moon, I think. 
Um, and so you wanted to check that out to see if that's real. So anyway, so you want to go to the moon. You got your space suit. You got everything you need. You know, you're all astronauted up. And um, you're there, and you see, you're like, okay, I'm going to wait until it's nighttime, and I can see the moon. So you see the moon, you're in your suit, you look up, and you're like, okay, I'm going to wait until the moon gets a little lower, right? Wait, wait in the night, wait again, is it ready? Dang it. Now... That's silly. That's absurd. You know, I'm sorry if I just wasted a few minutes of your life. <laughs> um, uh, the very obvious point, the very obvious thing in the room is it's impossible for us to jump up to the, root, to the moon. We're not capable of it. But if we hopped in a space shuttle and if the United States reopened their space program, we could hop in a space shuttle and reach the moon. See, a space shuttle is built and equipped and has enough power to get up to the moon. It can take you where you can't go on your own, but you got to be in it. In a similar way, Jesus, if we are in Christ, we are able to go where we cannot go on our own. The idea and the picture of being in Christ is that all of us, are so far separated from God that for us to think we could get to heaven on our own would be as silly as me trying to jump up there. As silly as me trying to jump up to the moon. That's, that's how absurd it is for me to try to think that I can measure up to God's perfect standard. But God so loved us that he sent his son Jesus to come to this earth to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and to raise from the dead and because of what Jesus has done, I can be in him and go where I cannot go on my own. I can be forgiven. And he clarifies this in a few verses later. Look at what it says in verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, For our sake he made him, speaking about Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. What this verse is saying, so important, is that what happened on the cross is far more than Jesus dying a physical death. Yes, Jesus died a physical death. Jesus, the Son of God, who forever was in heaven, who from before even time began was chilling with the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect unity, always having existed. I mean, they were tight. They, they were perfect. It's God enjoying himself no need of anything, and then Jesus comes to the earth. He lives a perfect life, and then he goes to the cross. And while he's on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, what's happening, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God is laying on Jesus our sin, our shame, our guilt, all of the junk in our lives, our, our regrets, the things that we've done to hurt people, all of those things that have amassed this debt, he takes that and he puts that on his perfect son. And Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, is forsaken by his father. As Jesus became our sin, his father turned his back on him. For the first moment in eternity, Jesus separated from his father so that we can be accepted 
by our Father. And in that moment, Jesus died, gave up his life. And then three days later, he rose from the dead as the receipt, proving that the debt had been paid for. Our sin was washed away. And so when we are in Christ, here's what this quite literally means, that there's this exchange that's taken place where we have gone to Jesus and we say to Jesus, Jesus, I am guilty, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. So we give him our guilt, our sin, our shame. He takes that on himself and instead we get in return his righteousness, his perfection. And so if you have shame and if you have guilt, if you've done stuff you regret, that you wish you could get out of your mind, that the memory could go away, that there's still carnage in your life because of that past decision. That Jesus, if you put your faith in him, clothes you in his righteousness so that when your heavenly father looks at you, he doesn't see the junk. He doesn't see those past regrets. He sees the perfection of his son. We are in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, look what it says next. He is a new creation. A new creation. Here's what this idea carries. That word creation is used all throughout the New Testament to describe what God created in the universe. Brings our attention back to the book of Genesis when God spoke and things came to be. There was once not anything and then God spoke and then it became something. There was once no such thing as the sun and then God spoke and he created the sun. There was no such thing as trees and then God spoke and then there was such a thing as trees. What this is saying is that when a person meets Jesus, what happens is that something that was not there before has now come into existence. It is a fundamental change of heart. So this is not describing some view of Christianity that's like, well, you know what, I just, I just need some help in my life, so let me just, just kind of add some, some spirituality to the side of what I've got going on already, and maybe that'll just help me. It's something far more transforming, far greater than that. You may be here and you're you're saying, man, I just need something. And Jesus can definitely do that for you. But what he has for you is so much greater than your expectations. That what happens is a brand new heart is given to us. We are made brand new by Jesus. And all throughout the Bible, it uses different language, different phrases to describe how we're made new. We're born again. We've been given God's spirit who lives in us. And so we live as brand new people. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Check this out. The old has passed away. The old has passed away. In other words, the, uh, the old trends that used to define us, the things that we used to do, the people we used to run with, those old trends that defined our lives, those no longer define us. In the moment a person meets Jesus, the old passes away. That trend no longer applies. It is irrelevant. The old has passed away. This is good news that we can be forgiven, our slate wiped clean, made brand new. Jesus says the old has passed away. And then he says this, he says the old has passed away. Behold, now pause here. Whenever you're reading the Bible, you come across this word, behold. Here's what it's doing. I always envision, it's like the author is writing this, God's inspiring them to write these words. And when this word, behold, pops up, it's almost like the writer is saying, hey, pay attention, this is going to be good. 
Hey, hey, make, make, sure, make sure you're looking at this. Behold, pause. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, check this out. The new has come. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, what's so interesting is how the Apostle Paul, he chooses particular verbs with specific intentions. In the Greek language, verbs communicate a whole lot than our English verbs communicate. And when Paul is describing how our old self, the old trends that used to define us, when he's describing those, the kind of verb he uses has this this sense to it in which it's just this simple past action event. That when a person meets Jesus, to put it very simply, the old passes away. It's gone. It's irrelevant. Doesn't apply. But then when he goes on to describe the new, the new you, The fact that Jesus doesn't come to just make you a better person, but a brand new person. When he describes that the new has come, he uses a different kind of verb. He uses a verb that describes a completed action that has ongoing and continuing results. In other words, what happened when you met Jesus, if you put your faith in him, is so transformative. The thing that applies, it, it, he has made you brand new. The new has come and it's still here and it will be here tomorrow and it will be here the next day and it will continue for all of eternity. You've been made new in an irreversible fashion. When a person meets Jesus, their heart is changed and you can't go back. This is what God does in our hearts. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. There's a new trend that is set in your life. Maybe this will help illustrate it a little bit better. Suppose we got here this morning, and we were listening, you know, you were listening to the music, and the service was going, and then we got to the time where we, we do announcements, and you saw that sweet recap video of what happened at camp, and then the time game for us to to go through the message, to study God's word together. And so the video ended, but the stage was empty and nobody walked out. And you're kind of looking around wondering what, what's about to happen. Is you know, somebody going to come from the ceiling? Like, where, where is, what, what's going on? And uh, time goes by, five minutes. You start checking your email. Hopefully you're not doing that now. And few more minutes goes by and I come bursting through the back door. I mean, just running, sprinting, and I hop up on stage. I'm out of breath and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is embarrassing. I was, I was driving down US 27 coming here and I got a flat tire and, and I got out of my car and I, I went to go and try and replace the tire, but accidentally I, I got in the highway as I was replacing the tire. I, much of my body was in the lane. And so I'm there changing the tire. And then this Mack truck, 18 wheeler is heading straight at me and I didn't see it. And it hit me and it hurt. (laughs) And so I dusted myself off. I I had to go home to change again because my clothes were a little, little dirty. And then I, I, I fixed my car, you know, I got it driving again and I came here and so that's why I'm late. Now, two things you might conclude. Either number one, I just lied and made a terrible excuse and surely there are better reasons to be late. Or number two, I have been deceived or I had a hallucination or something. 
because it is impossible to be hit by a Mack truck and not look different. Uh, you, you can't get hit by something with that much mass and that much force and not be rearranged. When a person meets Jesus, it is impossible for them to stay the same. You cannot, you cannot stay the same when you meet Jesus. He is the living God. He is the one who spoke and things came into being. He is the one who rules over everything and sustains over everything. And he made you. He died for you. And he has called you to himself, adopted you into his family, and said, you are brand new. And you have to change. So if you look at your life and you're just honest, and you look at the old you and then the new you after you met Jesus, after you made your decision to trust in Christ, and there is no difference. Like you, you started trying this whole you know, Christianity thing and you, you, you made some sort of commitment, but yet it's been years now and you look no different at all. It's the same. Then the, the question might be, have I, one, been deceiving myself? And number two, maybe I'm deceiving others. It's impossible to meet Jesus and not be different. Now, students, um, you were here this week and you experienced a whole lot. Our students, I mean, you, you had a fantastic week. And there, there were friendships that were formed, perhaps unexpectedly. There were, I mean, it was just this huge event. And there's so many emotional layers to camp. I mean, some nights there were students who were just crying because they realized how God loved them even in spite of how far they were falling short. And so they had this encounter. They had this experience. And so what you need to know, student, is that your faith cannot be defined by these highlight real moments. That in the end, God uses a camp experience. Man, he works powerfully through camps. I think if we got to share here, there are probably many adults who can think back to times at a camp when God worked in your life and it has stuck with you. But the majority of your life as a Christian is going to be in the daily grind of normal life where you're not at a Jesus camp. It's easy to follow Jesus at a Jesus camp. But in the daily grind of life where there's temptation, where there are real struggles, what we need to know and remember more than anything is that Jesus has made us brand new. He's made us into brand new people. My heart was fundamentally transformed when I met Jesus. That's what you need to know. And on Friday night, this, this area right here was just flooded with students. And they're all over the place. And uh, at the end, it was, it was so sad. Like so many of them were kind of, they were crying. They're like, we don't want camp to be over. They were hugging each other. It was Hug Fest 2016, okay? Everybody hugging each other. People who didn't know each other hugging each other, okay? It was beautiful. So they're all hugging each other. And it's just this sweet moment. I'm like, hey, guys, you don't have to be sad. We can do this again on Sunday and then on Wednesday. And so here's, here's a thought, students. You ready? High school students? Crazy idea. How about we have a camp reunion every week? How, how about we do it on Wednesday nights, say around 7 o'clock, and every week we get together and we encourage one another that we've been made brand new. 
middle school students, uh, how about we do this? How, how about we have a camp reunion too for you? On Sundays, 10.30, just get together and encourage one another. See, here's the thing. When we find ourselves in the sin cycle, where we're struggling and we make a commitment, we say, God, that's it, I'm done with this. I don't want to go back anymore. And then only to find ourselves back where we started with that secret struggle. Here's the temptation. The temptation is to turn inward, say, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to try harder. I'm I'm going to get this out of my life. And we find ourselves in the same place we started. See, because we have this fear. We, We can't let anybody know. Nobody can find out what I'm struggling with. Nobody can know what I, what I do and what I keep falling back into, that addiction. No, nobody can find out about that. And what that does is the enemy takes the grip that that sin has on our lives. And when we make the decision to try and hide it, it's like the claws and the grip of that addiction just sink even deeper. God put us uh, into this family. God put us into a family called the church so that we would remind one another of who we are in Christ, that we might be able to confess and be open with one another. If there is a place in the world that we should have permission and freedom to be honest about what we're struggling with, it ought to be the church, where we can come and we can say, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I need help. I I can't do this on my own. And by God's spirit with his people, you will see that old trend that used to define you that you feel like you keep going back to just completely vanished from your life. God, by his spirit, through his people, working together, you will see him continue to make you new, that you might walk in the newness of life. So even if you're an adult, you need a camp reunion. I mean, you, you need that. Family member, like, we need that. We need that. And so that's why we're going to do this next week, Sunday morning, 9 a.m., 10.30, and 12. Um, we're going to do it. We're going to get together and we're going to be under the scriptures and learn more about our heavenly father. That's why we do things like community groups because life is meant to be shared and God designed us to live as a family, helping one another. This is not a solo sport. This is a family event. And so God is calling us to do this. Now, I want you now to take a look at Amanda's story of how God made her new. Check this out. I was, kind of, I, was very I was depressed. depressed. I always felt, I always felt like I had a hole in my heart. I was missing something. I really just needed something, and I didn't know, but that thing was Jesus, and is Jesus. Something that has significantly had an impact on my life, and I felt like people couldn't understand me because I had a difficult time expressing how I really felt because... In life, in life they, they, always they always taught you, you know, you're, you're supposed, supposed to be strong, strong you're, you're supposed to put on this face of happiness, of happiness and, hide, and hide all the things, all the things that make you sad, make you sad so that people will accept you more. You more. And, I felt, and like I felt like that was something I had to do to be accepted, to be accepted was, to was to hide my shame, hide my, hide my unhappiness, and just only post the happy pictures on Instagram and just be the person that everyone wanted me to be, not the person that God wanted me to be. I was hoping, I was hoping to, to find some sort of relief for what I was feeling because I didn't want to be ashamed anymore. And uh, I wanted to come to terms with the things that were wrong with me so that way I could begin to fix them. 
but I felt, but like, I felt like my problems, problems were bigger than myself and that I couldn't fix them on my own. So when so I found out about the, about the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did and how much he loves me, it really put things into perspective for me. I didn't have to change myself on my own. It was going to be something that Jesus did for me. and. I would, I would just, just have, to have to open my heart to that and accept, accept him into my life, into my life and that would, that would be my salvation. If you, if you are, going are going through a difficult time in your life and you feel alone or you feel like you have no way out and you're trapped and you feel in a constant state of sadness or despair because you feel hopeless and you have nothing left, then you need Jesus because God has the power to give you new life if you accept him. And the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was not in vain. It was to forgive your sins and to pay the price for what you've done wrong. So don't think that you're too far gone to receive acceptance because God takes the most broken people and does the most beautiful things. God taking broken people and doing something beautiful. That's Amanda's story. That's my story. And if you've put your faith in Christ, that's your story. And maybe you came in here this morning and either a family member invited you or someone you know is getting baptized and you're here to celebrate with them. You just find yourself in this room. That can be your story. God sent his son to call and to seek those who are lost. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That offer is open to you. In a moment, we're going to be baptizing some people. Baptism is simply a, a way for individuals to declare what Jesus has done for them. It's a, it's a picture, it's a symbol that we have been buried with Christ and we've been raised to new life. I want you to check out what Romans chapter 6 has to say about baptism. Listen to what this says, Romans 6 verses 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is, this is what baptism is picturing when a person goes down into the water. We are picturing that they, just like Jesus, are, their old self is buried. The old them, the old trends that used to define who they are, that has been buried. And they come up out of the water representing how Jesus was raised to new life. That we too share in that newness of life. Jesus makes us new. Baptism is a way of declaring that. Here's who baptism is for. Baptism is for individuals who have made the commitment in their heart to trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. See, our faith is, is something that's personal, but it's not private. It's our faith, but Jesus calls us to live it publicly. He was publicly shamed, publicly humiliated, spat upon, mocked, crucified. And he calls us to represent him as those who are unashamed. Baptism is a way for you to declare, saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've trusted in him and I'm not ashamed. I want the world to know who my Savior is. And some of you who are here, you came and you came prepared to be baptized. You, you have your shirts ready. You have family members here who are going to celebrate with you. And in a moment, we're going to sing a song and you're going to go out and, and we're just going to celebrate with you. It's going to be amazing. But there are others of you 
who came this morning with no intention of anything like that, but perhaps God has pulled on your heart and he's just shown you, he's, he's in a still small voice said to you, you need a savior. And he provided that savior in Jesus. And today you can receive that gift of salvation right now. There's nothing stopping you. You can receive Jesus as your Savior. And then there are, there are others of you, you put your faith in Christ a while ago. Maybe it was when you were younger or a few years ago, but you've never taken that step of going public with your faith and being baptized as a way of declaring what Jesus has done for you. If that's you, we have everything you need. We've got towels, we've got, we've got shorts, we've got a shirt, we've got everything you need to be baptized today. The primary way we see people in the New Testament declaring that they believe in Jesus is by being baptized. We're going to give you that opportunity today. But here's the deal. If you're someone, you're unsure, you still have questions, we are glad you're here. There's no pressure to be baptized. Nobody is pressuring you to be baptized. The only reason you should be baptized is because Jesus has rescued you and made you new and you want to declare that to others. Nothing special or mystical about the water. Nothing, nothing, anything cleansing inside the water. It's just a way for you to declare what Jesus has already done in you. And if you want to do that today, the invitation is open to you. Will you bow your heads? Just in this quiet moment, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. If today you're wanting to say, I trust in Jesus as my Savior, and you've never done that before. With everybody heads bowed, eyes closed, if you could in this moment, I'm speaking to you. You, you walked in this room and you did not know about what Jesus has done for you. But today you're willing to say yes to him. If that's you, you can say something like this to him in your heart. You can say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for running my own way. Forgive me for leading my life for myself. I believe that on the cross, you died for me. You took my sin and you traded me for your righteousness. Thank you that you died for me and you rose for me so that I could be made new. I want to follow you with my life. All that I am is yours. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for those in this room who came and they came prepared and they came with family or they came knowing today is the day they're going to be baptized to tell the world in front of you, in front of your church, that they are followers of Jesus and they're not ashamed. I pray that this day would be etched in their minds, that it'd be a special moment for them. Father, I pray for the ones who are in here who maybe believed in Christ a while ago but have never taken that step of faith that obedient step in saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm declaring publicly through this picture of baptism that you are my Savior and you are my Lord. I pray for them that today they would have the boldness and the courage in a moment to say, that's me. I want to be baptized. I want to be obedient to my Father. And Lord, I pray for those who maybe for the first time ever upon hearing your good news responded in faith and today for the first time said, Jesus, I believe in you. For those, Father, I pray you'd give them the courage right now to make the decision 
to not be ashamed, to go public and say, I'm a Jesus follower. I've been made new and I will continue to be new in him. Father, thank you so much for this day, for all that you're doing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.